Welcome to the world's premier Black Crows podcast. State of America. Hosted by two of the band's most dedicated fans, David Hudson and Ian Rice. And now, let's get the show on the road. Welcome back, everyone, to the State of America podcast. This is David. I'm here with Ian, my co-host, and we are back for episode number three. Uh, We've liked it so much that we've now done it three weeks in a row when initially we were going to do it uh, at one every month, but uh, this is our third week in a row, and we're going to do four weeks in a row. Uh, Go ahead and tell you that up front. So... um, a big thank you to everybody that's been listening um, and sharing us and getting the word out there. And the feedback has just been overwhelmingly positive. We really appreciate it, and uh, we are still will appreciate you to continue to uh, share us with fellow Americans and even maybe people that you want to turn on to the uh, to the crows. A uh, quick update on things before we go any further: uh, our feed has been approved by iTunes, but it's not up on there yet. We're recording this on Wednesday night. Fingers crossed by the time this is released that we're up on iTunes. If not, it surely will be the next time. And I want to thank uh, my sister-in-law, Elizabeth, for her help with that. And then Chris Sinzak of the Decibel Geek podcast, um, who helped me get that approved. Uh, Chris uh, started a, a, like I said, it's a podcast called Decibel Geek. Uh, and uh, he's just been a, a good friend of mine during this whole thing. And if you're into like hard rock and heavy metal, especially like the hard rock of the 80s, uh, listen to the Decibel Geek podcast. You'll love it. Those guys are, are great. So thank you, Chris, and thank you, Elizabeth. And uh, we, we are, um, like I said, we're on Stitcher, SoundCloud, and uh, Spotify right now. Should be iTunes by the time you hear this. If not, the next time you hear from us. And we do have a Twitter account, at State of America, an Instagram account, State of America Podcast, and a Facebook page that Ian runs, State of America Podcast. So we'd appreciate you uh, following us on social media. Uh, that's going to help you uh, increase your chance of our giveaways. And we do want to uh, congratulate our uh, winner from our first giveaway, which is a $20 Nugs gift card, Jason Flom. So I've already contacted him. He'll be getting it uh, in his email tomorrow. And uh, he's also reached out to us and has helped us uh, uh, with getting a guest in the future. So uh, we'll keep that a secret till it happens. But Thanks, Jason, for listening. So, Ian, how are you doing, man? How are you, sir? I am very well, and I am. Uh, I am also. I just want to say thanks to everybody who's been tuning in and, and sending me personally a lot of positive uh, feedback about everything, and, and really showing a lot of kindness for what we're doing here. And it makes me feel good about doing it, even though I already felt good about doing it anyway. But uh, really it's, appreciate everyone tuning in. It's not hard. This didn't work. This is fun. Yeah. <laughs> what talk about the crows for an hour sure i know yeah we have we have to work though to support our music addiction uh, uh as i look at your music collection uh behind you there it's quite extensive it i know i'm trying to show off here, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um so what's been going on with you not a whole lot i mean uh you know just uh business as usual you know i and, hear you uh, i hear you we're doing it we're, we're very late night tonight uh, more later than usual so. yeah hey it ha- hey it's rock and roll i know right <laughs> um so i was talking to you before we came on the air about um an interview that somebody posted today it wasn't on our page but another page 
with Steve Gorman. It's about a 45 minute long interview. About half of it, I say, was about the Crows. The other half was about sports. Uh, it's kind of interesting. Um, you haven't had a chance to listen to it yet, have you? No, I, I you know, I maybe got like the first couple minutes in there. We're talking uh, uh, baseball a little bit, and then uh, I had to uh, jump out of it real quick. But uh, you made it through all the whole thing, right? Yeah, it's just, you know, it's he's kind of he was kind of setting some stuff up for you know to sell his book, which is going to come out in September, hard to handle and. I guess kind of the newsworthy things out of it was he hasn't spoken to Rich in a couple of years, and he said that and he pretty much said there's no way he would come back. So, you know, there's a lot of room, there's a lot of rumors out there right now, and I mean he he was pretty he's pretty blunt about it. Um, if it he, doesn't uh, definitely doesn't bode well for a uh, any kind of serious reunion in my in my book you know i mean although they did you know in 05 if you remember a lot of people forget when they first got back together it was uh bill de brown on the drums you know steve wasn't there originally so i guess and that didn't go well yeah but i guess they're not opposed to it although maybe after the you know experience they had they they would be opposed to it yes i I, the big thing comes out of it i guess is i don't i don't see especially with that book coming out i mean if it's if it's the way it's been described it certainly would create more tension than it's already there, I would think. What's the, I mean, have you, what's the kind of description you've been, well, you've been I, I, just, I haven't seen much on it. Yeah, know? I just saw a thing where he said, it was basically, you know, the the fans of the Black Crows were just amazing and they gave the band so much and, you know, we didn't get to give the fans the proper goodbye that they needed, deserved, and so now I'm going to give them that goodbye. And so, I don't know, I just kind of take from it that, it's going to be warts and all. Yeah, which is, I mean, really is the most honest way to do it, you know, I, I think. And um, but see, I'm looking forward to reading it. But course. see, like, I'm, I'm not really excited about this, you know, like the, the arguing amongst all of them doesn't really do anything for me. I want, to, I, I want to find out answers to, like, how do you record Feathers and Title Song and Waiting Guilty and not release them? Yeah, you I know? Mean, that's the stuff I'd be more interested in. So like, I, okay, Chris and Rich fight, we get it, you know. But you know, right, that, that's the stuff that's in. You know, how do you, um, you know, do not one but two full length records that never made it out? You know, it's crazy. Yeah, like when you when you walk out of that the thirteen days or whatever it took them to record Southern Harmony, do you realize? I mean, do you realize you just laid down a masterpiece? You know, stuff yeah. like that. That's what I want to know about. I don't care that Rich and Chris hate each other. Yeah, because everybody knows that. That's yeah, you know, that's red. Yeah, everybody knows. You know, everybody's heard that before. Can you think of a band with brothers in it? The only band I can think of off the top of my head with brothers in it that have not publicly fought is Van Halen. Yeah, those those guys are the uh, the anomaly. I think because they're they're tight. I, you've from, got the from you've all, got, all you, accounts. You know, you've got the Kinks, you got the Crows, Oasis. I mean, if anybody dislikes each other more than the Crows, it's the Gallagher brothers. Yeah, I think I think. You know, um, the notoriously worst ones were the Davies brothers, you know, the Kinks, uh, from what I hear. Um, actually, I, I was just thinking uh, a band that was brothers that didn't seem to have issue, or maybe they did, it just wasn't as public, but was, uh, and they opened for the Brotherly Love tour was uh, Space Hog. Those are two brothers in that. Now, didn't one of the guys in Space Hog wind up dating Kate Hudson, or do I have that wrong? I don't know. Uh, they, one of them definitely was with. Uh, oh no! One of them was with um, Steven Tyler's daughter. Um, okay. Yeah. Maybe. All right. My apologies, Kate. Yeah. Uh, if, you're, <laughs> if you're if you're listening to this, give us a call. We'd love to talk. 
Um, yeah, we got some questions. Yeah, we've got some uh, some questions for you. Yeah, so I I, I don't th- you know I don't think I don't think they're going to get back together. You know, and I saw where somebody in Chris's camp or whatever released a statement saying, "Hey, we've got some news coming for you from for you." So, um, you know, hope I think the CRB is going to carry on. I think they'll go on hiatus, and I think. He'll recruit some more people. You know, he's doing that Greenleaf Rustler stuff like they played at Levon Helms' barn this past Sunday night. Oh, really? Yeah. So, and then, I mean, the Magpies got that. They got to hurry up and release some dates, man, or they're going to they're gonna draft people up the wall. Yeah. I mean, it seems to me that with both of them, though, like they, like, I think it would be good for the CRB to take a little hiatus. And, and maybe even, you know, Magpies been on a bit of a one, but it seems like, when the when the two of them get into something, they really, you know, they go full force at it. So sometimes you know you run the risk of burning out when you do that. So you know, right? I think and it'd like, be good for them to take a break and regroup. Well, like I was thinking about thinking about thinking back in the back in the fall of the CRB, uh, Neil wasn't with them. He took like a three week break. They said for like health reasons. And uh, Greg from uh, the Mother Hips played guitar. Well, as soon as Neil came back, is either Jeff Hill or Tony Leone the bass player or the drummer, one of them left for a couple of weeks. So, I mean, they're just always on the road, you know, though, yeah. though that is one thing about the Robinson brothers. They're, they're road dogs. They are. They don't like sitting at home, um, at all. Um, we have an interesting topic this week. We're going to talk some about Rich and Mark's guitar play, and we'll get to that in a second. Um, but we have a giveaway that we're going to do next week. Uh, we're going to talk about the album Lions, which is actually one of uh, mine and Ian's more favorite Black Crows albums. And we, uh, in, in the future, <laughs> what we kind of have planned is when we talk about an album to have somebody come on, whether it's a fan or a musician or maybe somebody that was involved in the recording of it, to break it down. But the first one, just Ian and I are going to do it because this is a divisive album. Oh, yeah. And um, I think uh, I heard people... Oh yeah, switch it off when you said we're doing lions next week. <laughs> so we're gonna we're gonna talk about it, and we're gonna try to persuade you to like it. And then Ian has found a unopened original copy of of the Lions album on CD that we're gonna give away next week. So uh, tune in for that. We'll let you know. Um, we'll let you know about that giveaway and how we're gonna do it next week. But this week uh, is the first installment of a series we're gonna call Riff Raff. We'll call it Riff Raff Volume One. We're going to talk about some of our favorite Rich riffs and Mark Ford solos. So I, I don't know about you, um, um, Ian, but th- there's very few things I enjoy talking about more than those two guys playing guitar. Oh, man. They, they are honestly one of the most unsung uh, guitar duos ever. I don't know why they don't get some of the credit that I feel that some some duos, you know, some pairings get more credit than they deserve really like they're not as good as, as these two together there's something about rich and, and mark the way they you know intertwine their lines and the way that they complement each other is just unbelievable now you're an actual musician right i played guitar for a bit <laughs> yeah so I don't, uh, this this is gonna be interesting because i'm not a musician i took guitar lessons once and like i tell people i can play gc and d on a good day e um, so when I talk about this, there's nothing technical that I'm going to be able to bring to the table. I'm just going to talk about how it actually makes me feel, which is kind of the point of music anyway. 
but Ian can expound further on um, the technical aspects of uh, Rich's riffs and Mark's solos. Um, you mentioned that um, you thought they were underrated. I think one of the reasons they're underrated is because they make their guitar playing fit the song instead of vice versa. So, like, if you listen to, I know you're a big Van, Van Halen fan, and so am I, but yeah. a lot of Van Halen songs are almost there to get to the solo. Right. You know, and that, that's the way it is with a lot of, like, flashy stuff, like, um, you know, um, Steve Vai and, and Joe Satriani, like, they build their song around the solo. Chris and Rich, I feel like, build the solo around the song. So if the, if the song doesn't you know, doesn't call for any shredding or anything like that. They, they don't do it. It's it, a yeah. great example is Mike Campbell of Tom, of Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. Uh-huh. Petty's great. I mean, uh, Campbell's greatest strength is what he doesn't play. That's right. And that's, <coughs> to me, that's actually the mark of a good guitar player really is what you do with that space, how you fill it and how you don't fill it, you know? So it's, I, because I, you mentioned that, you know, me being a fan of Van Halen, when I first started playing guitar, you know, you, you, you gravitate towards guys like Eddie Van Halen because they're, you know, flashy. flashy. You know, they're, they're very technically proficient, you know. But when it, it wasn't until I heard, you know, stuff like Riches and, and things like that, when you hear it's like like you said, more of a song-based thing, that, that that's actually more interesting to play to me, you know. Makes you appreciate the song more. Absolutely. And it makes you appreciate songwriting more. Yes, and I still think that Rich is a very underrated, underrated songwriter, especially with, especially like his solo stuff. Yes, I was just thinking that the other day because I'm I'm a very big fan of his solo material, and and I feel that some of the best stuff he's ever done is on those solo albums, you know, because he became like if you listen to his earlier stuff and even up through his first solo record, he was very much about riffs whereas following that he, not that he discarded doing riffs but he he became more about the entire sound of the song you know what i mean layering and things like that and it's, it's very interesting the way the way he writes and records yeah i think like especially like when he got to like ceaseless sight there's just so many cool little i see i'm not a musician but I mean, it sounds like all very alternate tunings and his fr- mm-hmm. his phrasing and stuff like that is is actually much different than some of the stuff on the crows absolutely and uh you know it's i i, I remember when the uh, the first magpie record came out some people had you know voiced their concern that it, it, it they felt it didn't showcase the guitar like they thought it would and i i still think i think it followed the the trajectory that he was he was on where it was more about if you listen to that, that high water one the layering on that and the, the the different textures and everything is so interesting i mean it's just such a it, it keeps it's one of those records that keeps giving you know what i mean you, you listen to it all and then you hear something the second third fourth you know tenth time i love records like that it's a good one to listen to with your earphones on oh yeah the, one of the things, though, that frustrates me about that record a little bit is, like, on Can You See, if you listen to that with headphones turned wide open, Mark is just killing it during the course. But oh, it's yeah. it's low in the mix. And I mean, just... And I've mentioned that on the boards, and people are like, I don't hear what you're saying. And I'm like, put your earphones on and turn it up, you know? 
Uh, that that's the only thing that frustrated me about that. But what have you heard though, real quick, about the second album, like the material on there? Have you heard anything about it? Well, I mean, not the things I've heard is, I mean, obviously there was a, um, an, uh, they recorded it all at the same time, or supposedly. And um, I know that there was an acoustic gig that Mark did last May, and he played a tune that was supposedly a new Magpie tune at the end that they left off the, the, the bootleg that went around because he asked them to. Mm-hmm. But that song was called, I, I believe it was called Lost Boy, and it didn't make it to the album, so that that's that tune. And then The Killing Moon was supposed to be, from what I understand, on the album, but then they put it on the uh, you know the Record Store Day 10-inch uh, vinyl. And um, the only other thing I've heard about the record, and this may cause the delay, is that when they when they were over in England, the label, which I believe is Eagle Eagle uh, Records or Eagle Entertainment, which is based in England, um, wanted them to either recut a couple of tracks or or cut new tracks because they they you know they they weren't maybe a hundred percent pleased with the, the the final result that they handed in. So I don't know if that's what's causing the delay. Well, there was a poster on one of the boards. He wouldn't say who told him, but he. Uh, he he alluded to the fact that it was somebody in the camp said that that High Water Two is better than High Water One. At least the band thought that. I don't know if that's true or not. You know how everybody's got somebody on the inside, and nine times nine times out of ten they're not right. But um, I'm very much looking looking forward to that. All right. So uh, enough about uh, the Magpie. Let's talk about Rich and Mark's guitar playing. Primarily, I think you have some solo stuff on yours. I know I sent you a copy of my list the other day, and you said that our Mark stuff lined up pretty closely. So yeah. um, I tell you It'll what, be a short let, conversation on that one. <laughs> <laughs> let's start with Rich's riffs, and what we're going to do, everybody, is we're just going to do five each uh, of Rich and Mark, and then, like I said, this is going to be an ongoing series. So, like you know, if we didn't mention a song that you think is one of his best riffs, it's not because we don't think that; it just means we're going to use that later on and. Um, uh, future episodes. So, Ian, I'm going to throw it to you, and uh, let's hear your top five. Your well, not top five. Let's hear five of your favorite Rich riffs. All right. So, uh, after thinking long and hard about this, I uh, the the five that I came up with um, was uh, sometimes salvation, uh, twice as hard, uh, been a long time. Black Moon Creeping and Horsehead. Those are my those are the ones that immediately came to mind for me. Those every one of those was was on my list. Um but the five that I came up with were Twice as Hard, that's one we have in common, Exit, Remedy, Been a Long Time, and then Curse Diamond, where it gets to the electrical part uh when it really uh, kicks in. So obviously we both had twice as hard uh, on there.
this is probably my favorite song I like to see played live off of uh, uh, Shake Your Money Maker. And a lot of it has to do with that opening riff because you know what it is when they play it, and it, you know, and it takes them a little bit to get into the 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 drum part. And I just think it's a it's it's not hard to play. I remember learning how to play it when I took guitar lessons, you know. But uh, it's very simple but very effective uh, riff. And then uh, I love how he plays it during the they basically he basically plays the riff over and over again the whole song, doesn't he? Yeah, I mean, for the most part. So the, the thing with that riff that always got me, and, is that, and it wasn't a, a right out of the gate for me. It wasn't. I saw it live as an opener. I got that one one show I went to, and that's when it, the full scope of that really hit me because it, I, I heard it, and it, 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 it drew out this excitement just from hearing it. And that's really, to me, the mark of a good you know riff. When you hear it, it gets you going, you know what I mean? And that's that's definitely a good opener, as we discussed last week. And um, it's, there's a lot of power in that riff, and there's a lot to be said for it. Do you like to hear that song still live? Do you get tired of it? No, because I like what they do with it live. I like the, you know, the, I mean, aside from the actual riff itself, the way they end that song, they kind of drag it out a little bit at the end, and it kind of is like... Uh, you, know, you need a breath after you hear that one, so it's always it's always been good to me in concert. You know, I was just about to bring that up. How much I liked how they ended it, how they yeah. ended. Uh, it's very cool, and they just stop abruptly. You know, I always think that's cool. Uh, they do that on that uh, that no speak no slave clip that uh, we had played last week. If you go watch that, I mean, they just ended abruptly and turn and walk back toward the middle of the stage. I I just think that is so cool. And Rich actually jumps up and down in that song. I mean, when's the last time, you know? You saw Rich uh, do that. All right, so we both had uh, been a long time waiting on love off of uh, Before the Frost. my favorite song on that uh the first part of that album this and um uh i've always liked appaloosa um uh, it, it song sounds really cool especially the way they recorded it live and the percussion on it has always stood out to me but man this is kind of a classic uh almost I'm going to use like I said. I'm not a guitar player, so I'm going to use the wrong words here. But it's almost got a sludgy feel to it, if that makes any sense. You know, it's it, 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 yeah, it, it's very sludgy, very guttural. It's, um, I mean, it's, a, it's a large part of that. I think is the is a byproduct of the fact that he's, he's I believe he's using open C on that one, which is very, you know, the right, low so, notes are low. So to idiots like me, explain open tuning. Open tuning is this, it's an alternate way of tuning the guitar, like standard, you know, everybody knows the standard, you know, it's a perfectly fine way of playing. But to me, open tunings, and I, I got into them through uh, Rich, I, the first person I knew that actually used them was Keith Richards but um, and Ry Cooter. But um, it's, it creates more of a, a low-end kind of drone stuff. So it's, it's, 
and to me it gives it like a more full a fuller sound and there's certain things resonate a certain way that they wouldn't if you were playing them in standard tuning you could you could anything that's played in, in an open tuning you you essentially could play in a standard tuning but it just wouldn't sound quite the same and um probably the most well, that i think that's probably the most rock song on that album don't you oh yeah that to me it's it's a it was a highlight of that album for me i mean i, I like quite a bit of the material on there but i really like that song and and in addition to the riff, the way that that's one of the, the, the no, I don't want to say the few, but you know, one of the definite examples of Luther uh, Dickinson putting his own stamp on their stuff rather than just kind of, you know, filling in the gaps like that. His part is just as much, uh, just as important as, as, as the riff itself. Well, you remember everybody thought that was going to be the single because didn't the crows normally the second song on the album was always the first single right and uh i remember um people during those cabin fever sessions you know on the message boards that went this was a song that was consistently like it's going to blow your mind a song that i think they left off of there conspicuously that i thought was great was little lizzie may what do you what do you think about that i i did like that because that was on the um the dvd if right I'm and uh but to me and honestly, see more of a of a Chris tune, you know. What I mean, so I can understand why maybe it didn't make it. Although I will say on that album, um, it's more it's very much like a later Beatles kind of setup where you're like, oh, that's a Chris song. Oh, that's a Rich song. You know what I'm saying? Like we used to be able to pick out John and Paul, you know, who wrote who was the primary songwriter. You know, there's there's so, there's no doubt who wrote I Ain't Hiding. Yeah. Oh man, there's a <laughs> there's a clip. I I I have to dig it up again. Um, of an interview with Rich, and he's saying how how much he hates that song. He calls it the disco you know? song. Yeah, and he said, you know, oh, it's horrible, you know. And I, I didn't, I, it's it's funny to me because it, um, Rich knocks out one of the best solos he's ever put on put down on tape on that song, and he doesn't even like the song, you know. <laughs> I remember the first time I heard that, and I was like, what is going on here? Like, has somebody put something in my drink? But I actually, I actually like it, and CRB plays it, and man, they t- they they handle it. They they do a great job on it. I, I don't that song of all the songs that I you know, there's only a handful of Crow songs I really don't like, and I really didn't like that one, and it just grew on me. Um, you got to give got to give Chris this. I mean, it it was original. It was unlike anything else they've ever done. No, it it, it was it certainly was original. Um, I mean, in, in there canon you know and uh i i always enjoyed it you know it wasn't the the top for me but it wasn't the bottom either you know but i, I it, it didn't bother me it seems like it seems to bother rich you know all right so we talked about the two we had in common why don't you talk about the three that you had that we did not have in common i i remember when i first bought southern harmony uh and i i played it through the, the song that really because i knew remedy buying the album because i was the single um, but when I first listened to it, that's sometimes salvation. That is such, uh, it's just something about that riff that, that draws you in the, uh, like the stop, start, uh, start, stop of it, you know, in the, uh, it's unbelievable. And, um, and then I saw them do it on Saturday night live and just to, to watch them pull that off is, is amazing. <laughs>
it's an amazing thing. It's another one of those songs when you get it in concert and you you hear the first few notes of it, you know, oh, you know, you, it's, you, I, I get very excited to hear that. It's one of those songs where everybody in the band shines. Yeah. You know, I mean, I'm sure it's not the easiest thing to play on drums for Gorman with the starts and, you know, starting and stopping. And then you have the great rich by the great riff by Rich. And that's one of those songs where Chris's soul singing just comes, you know, he just sounds like a Southern preacher almost uh, on that. And then, you know, of course, we'll get to the guitar solo later. But uh, I mean, I think that's like a top 10 Crows track. Oh yeah, easily, and uh, it's, it's yeah, so powerful that uh, I've never. And that ultimately was the song that uh, kind of brought them back together in '05 at the Jammies. Um, yeah, because uh, what they did it with uh, with Warren. I don't know if it was with Government Mule or it was just Warren Haynes by himself. But they, you know, he had him out, and that was that was the beginning of the the process, really. So it's kind of important that way too, you know. I think it's. I think it says. A lot about the song. I mean, I love Warren Haynes and think he's one of the absolute greatest guitar players of all time. But even he can't play it like Mark and Rich. No, and that's that's something about to me is a mark of a good a good guitar player, a good a songwriter is uh, no matter how how well you cover it, it just never quite sounds like the uh, the guy that wrote it playing it, you know. And and Rich has a lot of stuff like that. But just never. I think that's why a lot of more people don't cover them as much, you know. I think a lot of people probably go to cover them and think, oh, this is just the faces and the stones, and they realize it's a lot more intricate than that. Oh, yeah, absolutely. All right, so let's see. What's your next two? I had um, Black Moon Creeping, because that just, the way that that song starts, it starts with just the riff, you know, no other music or anything like that, and uh, no other instruments, I should say. And, um, uh, it's just uh, like most songs on that record it just it gets you going i mean it's non-stop <laughs> but uh, i don't actually think i ever saw that on a concert i think that was a uh, really? one of the ones I, I never I never got and I, I wish I had because I, I really like that song and that riff is uh, is a classic to me in their in their catalog um yeah it is and that's a unique that's just a unique song um on that album um that that's backside of that album is as strong as any backside of any album you'll ever listen to oh yeah and I think I remember reading too um the breakdown at the end where it kind of goes slow mm-hmm. you know, it slows down and it's kind of like a it's almost like a gospel you know like the right cool down part you know what i'm saying uh but um i think that the record company didn't want them to do that at the time like they, they wanted that part off the song really and they said no keeping it you know and i couldn't imagine the song without it really. what were your thoughts on the jam they used to play before they would go into it i um i always liked their uh their jam stuff that they did, like Thorn's Progress and anything that kind of played on the song that was to come. You know, I mean, sometimes they would go, they would get a bit lengthy for my taste, but uh, Thorn's Progress just gets me going. Oh yeah, I mean, it's just it's musical Nirvana. Um, it really is. All right, so what was your last one? Horsehead, which oh, yeah. uh, is from By Your Side, another polarizing album for them, and 
I mean, for the fan base of them, really. All right. There's two versions of that song, too. One that's on the record, and then there's one that's a B-side that's an acoustic version. And the riff works perfectly in both versions. You know what I mean? Like It's, it's actually hard for me to decide which one I like better. I've never, but, I've never heard the acoustic version. Oh, um, really? It's, it's, uh, it's The only odd thing about it is Chris is singing through, I don't know if he's singing through a megaphone type thing, but his uh, voice is distorted on it. So that kind of throws you off a little bit. But... Uh, This is another one of the this another one of those kind of slow sludgy riffs um, that he's got. Yeah. Um, I, I've I, never I, I ultimately I, think he's like the master of those riffs, you know. Oh, completely, and I would have loved. I've never seen it played. I'm sure it has been when when Mark on that 0506 tour. Uh, that's one I would like to to hear. Yeah, Horsehead. I'll be honest with you. I always forget about that song because. Outside of a few songs on By Your Side at times, I kind of forget they're around. Like, uh, I always forget about um, Diamond Ring mm. and uh, some of the other stuff on there. But Horsehead, it kind of got a bad rap when they came out, you know, when that album came out. But I, I don't think it's as bad as, as people say. I don't think that album's as bad as a lot of people think it is. I think the production on it could be different and it would be a totally different album. Yeah, it was a little glossy. And uh, the, the, you mentioned Diamond Ring. The funny thing about that is, is that's the song that uh, delayed the release of the record because they, they pulled it back to put that song on it. And um, to me, it's the it's the weakest song of the of the album, which is so. I don't know. But it's not a bad. I don't I don't think they have a lot of, uh, if any, in my for my taste, bad songs. You know, maybe songs you don't like as much, but they're right. bad songs. You know. Yeah, they and they threw away a lot of. Uh good ones and one of those is uh one of my favorite rich riffs and that's exit This song is one of the more unique songs in the catalog. I mean, this is very much, it's very much got a groove to it, and it's also very much got one of their heavier songs. Uh, you know, if you, somebody, you'd have told me this was a hard, a straight up hard rock band playing that, I would say, yeah, um, I agree. And 
the the riff he just kind they just kind of play it over and over during the whole song and a lot of times uh, they would stretch it out in concert uh this is like a top five unreleased track for me yeah i mean i i i'm still baffled to this day what never made it to a record and um to me also just you know as a testament to mark i always like to mention his uh his outstanding stuff is uh that little guitar bend that he plays during that riff is like it's such a minor thing but it's you, i i i found when he, when they started playing it in the magpie also i was like waiting for it you know it's a, I, I love things like that like it's it's such a little nothing but you're superficially but it really like makes the song you know were you ever lucky enough to see this in concert no i uh uh, regretfully no the night they played it the night the magpie played it in new york uh i missed that show i had tickets for both shows and i missed one and they played it and i was so pissed off uh, yeah. i never got to see it either um i i guess probably the most rare song that i ever saw the crows play was tornado um, oh really That's yeah crazy. i got tornado i think i got tornado it was a it was on that say goodbye to the bad guys tour it was in atlanta at the tabernacle and i did two nights and up until then, a lot of the really obscure stuff I'd never seen in concert, I think it was based on because of where I would go to the shows. Like a lot of the shows around here, they would only come through like at the most once every two years. And so right. they tended to go a little bit more hit heavy, you know, right. as opposed to like Boston or whatever, where they would come through sometimes two and three times on a tour. You know, those people were the ones that usually got exit, stuff like that. But yeah, that show, I got like, I got Tornado, I got Waiting Guilty, uh, I think I got Thunderstorm 654, uh, a lot of kind of rare stuff. Yeah, I checked a lot of songs off the list that two-night run, and um, Waiting Guilty was one I never thought I'd ever see live, and that's just, that's one of my favorite, that's a top five unreleased Crow song for me. Yeah, with with the live version being a bit superior. Oh, the live version is much better than that one. All right, so let's see, I talked about Exit, Uh, probably his simplest riff he's ever written but is used all the time for bumpers for going in and out of the radio stations or even for podcasts. And that was the lead single off of Southern Harmony Remedy. Nothing hard and complicated. I think I could probably learn how to play that in a few minutes. But man, that's an effective use of power chords. It is. Which uh, which podcast uses that? Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. That's right. You know, I wasn't even thinking about ours when you said that. Uh, yeah. So uh, <clears throat> sorry about that. Uh, checks in the, checks in the mail, Rich. Uh, very simple but very effective. Uh, you see, it, this song used, especially the opening part, walk-up music for a lot of baseball players. Yeah, it, to me, that is like, because if you think about things like that, like that's almost one of the points of a great riff. Is So it's that, like if you think about, like you brought up sporting events, how many times you hear Thunderstruck, you know, ACC right. or something like that, you know, and it's it's designed to get that reaction. And, and you know, so he's, that's another check mark on Rich's list of songwriting. He has riffs that resonate 
you know, in that 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 arena kind of thing, you know. That was such a good song to have as the first single. Oh yeah, that like yeah, unbelievable. That's that single. I uh, love I love the video of them. Uh, I think they opened the MTV Music Awards. Yes. And, uh, you know, before the lights come on, you know, um, Chris says a spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down. They kick into it. You know, of course, I think that's one of those times that Chris is pretty much dressed up like a pimp. Yeah, he's you wearing know. a white fur coat, if I may. Yeah. And, and pot leaf bell bottoms, shiny, like yellow with green pot leaves going that's down. That's right. That's right. And just dancing around like a madman. All right. The last one that I was going to mention uh, is Cursed Diamond. And the part I'm talking about is. Not the slow part, but when it kicks in with the full band, it's another yes. one of those. It's a, it's a, it's a different tuning, and it's another kind of unconventional, sludgy-sounding chord progression. Um, that is it is a you know it's not it, it's not something that would immediately pop into my mind but you're exactly right it is a very it's, it's a it's a rich notes. it's a rich riff oh yeah and it's a it's an undeniably rich riff and it, it conveys the sadness and desperation of that song perfectly i think i mentioned this on an earlier podcast that's a song that sometimes i'm listening to it and i'm like yeah it doesn't do anything for me and then sometimes I listen to it and I'm like, this is just a, an amazing song. Um, just, uh, it's just great songwriting, honestly. Yeah, I mean, I mean, and there's so many times you can say that it's it's unreal, you know, about them, about Rich as you know, musically, Rich was wrote the bulk of the uh, early stuff, you know. All right, so we've talked about our favorite Rich riffs. We're going to talk about some of our favorite. Mark Solos, and I'll, I'll read my list out first, and then uh, I think we're going to have an, a lot of overlap on this. Uh, <laughs> Sometimes Salvation, Sting Me, Girl from a Pawn Shop, Exit, and My Morning Song. Yeah, we only we only differ in, uh, on one on the list. Um, whereas you had uh, Sting Me, I had in place of that I have another Roadside Tragedy. Very cool. All right, well, let's let's go with the ones we have in common first. Sometimes Salvation. The solo on that gives me chills every time I hear it, and nobody can play it like Mark. I'm sorry, Warren Haynes. You do a good job on it, but it's still not Mark. Is that to me, uh, you know, with a, there's a couple other, I mean, pretty much for me, the ones I had on the list, but uh, above all any others is, is the, you know, t- it typifies Mark's playing. That is, 
And there's a thing on that, and I don't know how to even know I've, I've played, and I, I don't know the term for it, but uh, and Mark does it a lot. Not like Overkill, but he does, he, he does it on other tunes, too, where you just kind of move your hand over the strings, you know, like, kind of like ripping into the into the solo, you know what I mean? It's, oh, that's perfect, that, that solo. And he... When he plays that solo, this let's, this is gonna still me not knowing anything about music. He's play he's changing to that front pickup on that, right? I believe so. Yeah, usually you know typically that's the that's the move, you know. But uh, yeah, it's that that just cuts right through the uh, the track. That's perfect. All right, and so the other one, the second one, is Sting Me, and in particular, the for me it's the second solo. Uh, on um, on that song. Opening song off Southern Harmony. It's the first time you heard recorded studio material with Mark on it. And when that solo hits, I think it just was like, it signified the Mark Ford era is here. And sorry, Jeff Cease. This is, <laughs> this is, this is, this is me now. Um, I love watching him when they play it live. Cause he, re- a lot of times that when he goes into it, man, he really bends the notes and kind of gets into it, especially on like the, uh, uh, freaking roll. Uh, DVD. Um, this is one of those songs that gets played a lot, but in my opinion, it's not overplayed. No, and and for a time there, it was the uh, you know the running joke was that was the number two spot you know in concert. They were always you know you Regar- almost the almost regardless of incarnation. I mean that was you know, and it is it's a good it is a good song in that spot, but also it worked as the as the album opener too. So you know it's. Uh, it, it's versatile. <laughs> and then the third song, Girl from a Pawn Shop. And what I'll say about this is, it may not be Mark's most technically proficient solo. It's the most effective solo I've just about ever heard. hear this song and he starts playing over he you know he basically solos over about half the song regardless of chris is playing or not singing or not this is one of those songs every time the hair stands up on my arms it's just it's just this this may be the best song the brothers have ever written together it is an extremely well-written song and mark's playing throughout is so emotive that it, it's it's it floors you every time that, that it, it's to me you can have a sad song but 
to actually have it convey the feeling of sadness is just, and, and I, I mean that in the in the best way possible. Uh, but it just, it, it without his solo on there, it, it wouldn't be half as effective as it is, at, you know, altogether. It really, it really makes a large portion of the emotion of that song. This is one of those ones when you hear other incarnations of the band. It's an, I mean, no offense to any of those guys because they're all a million times better than me. But that's one of the songs when you go, they, it's a step, it's a step back. Yeah, I mean, and you know, as a testament to Mark, a lot of his his songs, you know. Um, when others play them, have it, it has that effect. You know, it gets the job done, but it's not, it's not Mark. You know, it's like when I saw um, "As the Crow Flies" this summer. I mean, and don't get me wrong, Marcus King is one of my favorite new musicians, and I said it on my other podcast. If I was buying stock in anybody, and in ten years I could sell it, Marcus King's who I would buy my stock in because he's the next Warren Haynes. He's going to be this generation. So I'm I'm in no way saying he's not good. He is an he's 22 years old and is an amazing guitar player. Oh yeah. But if you watched them play, he struggled on some of the stuff, and I think that's and I think that's just a testament, like you said, to Mark's playing. He played it. I mean, he played it fine, but he nobody can touch nobody can touch these songs the way that Mark did, in my opinion. No, I, I would agree, and, and Marcus King is a is a tremendous, tremendous talent. I don't, from anything I saw of As the Crow Flies, and, and you know, it was mostly uh, YouTube clips, videos, things like that. Um, I, listen, if I was him and they came to me and said, uh, do you want to do this gig? It's a no-brainer to take it. But I don't really think it was his gig, you know what I mean? I don't, yeah. I, I don't think necessarily he was he was the best fit for that material. And that's not that takes nothing away from his playing. No, uh-uh. just, you know, not his style. I mean, there's, really. there's, there's bands you could put Mark. You know, the long, the long rumor that I've always heard was he was asked to join Guns N' Roses when Izzy left. Um, and I, that would have been that would have been not good. <laughs> yeah. I don't, I don't think that would have, I don't think that would have been good. It, well, I won't say anything about somebody we may be having on here, but that's one, one of our guests we're going to have to ask about the veracity of that because. Uh, uh, because I think Burning Tree was in the studio at the same time, or the Crows may have been in the studio at the same. I, I can't remember. They were all there together, but yeah, I don't think I don't think Mark would have sounded good in GNR. Um, all right, so the last song that we have together is my favorite Black Crow song of all time, my morning song. Uh, in particular, I think what's it referred to as the sunrise section there at the end when uh, when they're coming out of the solo. And, you know, Chris is just kind of riffing left and right, and it builds, 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 and it builds. And you're like, I can't take much more, and it keeps building, keeps building. <laughs> and then you get the payoff. Mark's playing a solo over that entire part. Um, and it's, like I said, it just gives me goosebumps. And-
uh, preparing for this, I went and watched them, a version of them playing that at Glastonbury uh, back, I think it was 95 or 96, where they were at the height of their powers, and it's just phenomenal. If you haven't seen that, go see it. Um, like I said, this is my favorite Black Crow song of all time. Has been for a long time. I don't ever see that changing. No, I mean that's a that's a fantastic solo. It's it's almost like a two parter because he she starts it with this this great solo, and then uh, Chris goes into you know you rang my ears, you know that that bit, and then he launches into this other thing that's it's unbelievable, and I I don't know if I could say. It's my absolute favorite song. It's up there, but it's definitely to me the most stereotypical Black Crow song. You know what I mean? Like if you had to, if you asked me, what's the what what song encompasses everything that that band is about, everything their sound is about, and everything that they're capable of? That's the song you put up. It has you know a piece. I mean? It has a piece of every era in it. I it mean, does. everything you have the jam aspect, which they went on to be. It's mm-hmm. a hard rock song. You know. You have kind of the blue. It has the slide in it, you know, kind of bluesy slide, and um, it has kind of the cool lyrics. Uh, I think some of the, some of the best lyrics that they've written in it, and uh, it just gets you going. And I think they really enjoy playing. It. I know on that last tour, they didn't. They either played it. I think they played it acoustically most of the time, which I wasn't the biggest fan of, but. I can also see that being a song that really taxes Chris's voice playing it if they had to play it too many times. Yeah, well, you know, I, and, and some people criticize uh, uh, not just Chris, any singer as they get older can't, you know, maybe hit the same notes or anything like that. And Chris has actually maintained his voice very, very well. But it's just, you know, it's just a byproduct of, of belting out songs every night. Sometimes, you, you know, your voice changes a bit, you know. I will tell you this, you know, when he sings with the CRB, he's not taxing his voice at all. And when I saw As a Crow Flies, it was one of the first shows they did. It's probably the best I've ever heard his voice in concert. Yeah, well, because he... He saved know, for, it all these years. Yeah, he was resting it up a bit. You know, because, well, and that's just that's just by virtue of the fact that the CRB's approach was more mellow. You know right. what I mean? All right, so the song that I had that was different, uh, two of us is Exit. And one of the reasons I, cho- I chose it, I feel like, I know there's several takes of it out there, but I feel kind of like when they recorded it, probably didn't necessarily have the solo completely down. And the one that we hear is just him going off on a tangent on it. Because sometimes he holds the notes longer than you would, would normally hold them and, and stuff like that. Uh, but I just like everything about this song. And I think the solo kind of just amplifies kind of the grit Um grit and simplicity of the song that make it so good.
that's uh, that's another one for so many reasons. You you can't you, you can't believe they they left that off of anything official, and um, you know the solo is definitely a big part of that. Yeah, it's it's like we're each putting it up as um, I think you know the be- one of the best examples of Mark's playing, and it's 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 hard, you you know you'd be hard pressed if you weren't somebody that was very into the black rose you'd be hard pressed to find it to listen to it i mean that that, you know with the with the advent of youtube and things like that things are a little more accessible but well and you know they did put it on that uh wiser for the time live album that they put out with uh with luther it's on there but it's just not the same as when um as with mark playing all right what was the song that you had that we didn't have in common uh another roadside tragedy yes Sessions album uh, to me fantastic. I, I still cannot believe to this day that they, you know, they sidelined that to go with the by your side stuff. But uh, you know, it's all record company politics and things to get involved. But uh, that song, there's a there's a great solo in it. But then the song comes like crashing down almost, and it's a very slow, not like you know, flashy a lot of notes or anything. But just what Mark plays on that is is. Is, is is beautiful. I mean, it's just it's, just, it's such a great example of his playing because it gives you um, the, an example of his you know his faster and slower playing. You know, his, his uh, prowess. You know? It's also one making the solo fit the song and not the song fit the solo. Exactly. That you you can you uh, to me, Mark is one of those guys. You hear him play and you understand why he's playing every note he's playing. You know, I mean, it's not just to fill the, the solo section, you know what I mean? He's he's trying to make that part of the song. Well, Ian, this was fun. Um, oh, yeah. You, you provide a little more insight than um, than I could. Like I said, I was just going to talk about how the songs made me feel, um, <laughs> which is uh, which is the purpose of music. Um, you have any, th- any parting parting shots before we go? You know, I, as uh, you know, we had uh, spoken about this briefly uh, before the show, and... Uh, you know, we have the uh, email address now. If anybody wanted to uh, email us anything, questions, concerns, thoughts, and anything, we were thinking of doing a uh, 
a Q and A type thing down the road. So if you got anything you want to ask us or want to, yeah, it's state our of, opinions it, on or anything. It's stateofamorca at gmail dot com. So uh, hit us up with a hey if you think we're doing something that's not good, let us know and say hey we'll we'll, we'll think about changing it. We just want that this isn't about this podcast isn't about me and Ian. It's just kind of what I always would have liked to have had twenty years ago. Uh, you know, a lot of stuff that people were saying in the message board, I could hear people actually say it and, and talk about it. And uh, we've gotten a lot of comments from people saying, I appreciate you guys trying to keep it positive as you can. Uh, and so, uh, like we said, the, the, the fighting that goes amongst, on amongst Black Crows fans, if people want to do that, that's fine. But the good so, so very far outweighs the bad that, uh, I mean, it's unavoidable. There's going to be times it's going to come up, you know, but it's not something we're going to, we're just going to beat you over the head with. Um, because if if Ian and I were that negative about it, we wouldn't do a podcast. We'd just sit around and be, you know, the old get-off-my-lawn type guys. And I remember back <laughs> in the good old days, you know. And so, yeah. No, um, it's, uh, it's definitely, uh, you know, like you said, the, the, the good outweighs the bad. There's so much more positivity to talk about. And, and look, we've already filled three hours. And we got so much more to go. So, you know... Um, yeah, and, but, you and, know, if anybody, we're always looking for, you know, if anybody's, when we say we're going to do episodes with, uh, you know, fans as guests, you know, we're, we're, you know, we're open to anybody. So if you think you might fit uh, what we're doing here, you know, get in touch. Yeah, and what Ian and I are planning on doing is we have a lot of different ideas, and it's ideas that we're going to circle back to numerous times. So, for instance, this is going to be Riff Raff Volume 1. There'll be a Volume 2. They may probably up to a Volume 5, you know, if we wanted to. So what we're trying to do is give you a taste of every every different type show we have in mind before we circle back and start repeating things. So eventually we want to discuss every solo album, every studio album, the unreleased stuff, the side projects. We want to do that uh, each album and you know devote an episode to it. And we're probably going to have somebody on for all of them except for this one. Uh, I felt like it would be really good for just Ian and I to do that since that's an album. Honestly, it was that tour that we both saw them, the Crows, live for the first time. Uh, that was the first album that came out after I went from being a casual fan to being obsessed. So uh, we understand a lot of people don't like that album or like don't like parts of that album, but uh, we're just going to talk about it how we feel about it. And if you don't like it, that's fine. And let us know, hey, I, didn't, I don't like lines to each his own. But uh, that's going to be next week, and we're going to have a giveaway on it. Uh, I do want to tell, tell everybody thank you for listening and thank you for sharing. Ian is going to have the last word. He's going to tell us what song we're going to play out. Yes, and we're going to close out today with, uh, this is from Jones Beach in New York from the 2006 Summer Tour. This is them doing a cover of Neil Young's L.A. And thank you for listening, and we will see you next time.
a surprise Seem to forget something somebody said About bubbles in the sea Ocean full of trees And you now L.A. City in the small, city in the small. Don't you wish that you could be here too? Don't you wish that you could be here too? Don't you wish that you could be here too?
Don't you wish that you could be here too? Don't you wish that you could be here too? 